I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, a two-way talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics. Make sure you tune in each week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can call the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And please like and subscribe on all of our social media platforms. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parlor, Twitch, Telegram, Rumble, Truth. And we have CGW underscore backup at Instagram because our original site got taken down for (laughs) providing some good, excellent Second Amendment content. I guess the metaverse didn't like that. So, Oh, my. You can also, I never really plug it, but I should because it's the show name. The Rapid Fire Radio is our other handle. So you can find us on all the usual suspects with at Rapid Fire Radio as well. So... You can go there to get some good content on all of those same uh, social media platforms. So anyway, thank you very much for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, there's just so much to talk about in the gun world, um, you know, as it has news has been coming down. Still, uh, the biggest thing that we're seeing is all of the legal challenges that are starting to spring spring up across the country as a result of the Bruin decision that the Supreme Court ruled on, um, you know, a couple months ago. So it's really interesting to see these cases spring up, and it's not something you would think of uh, as a direct result of the Bruin case. But if you looked at it on the surface of what the actual pleadings were with the Bruin case, I remember thinking, like, how is the... New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin going to affect like assault weapons ban and magazine capacity bans and everything else because I I know what it you know the pleadings were about a you know whether it's legal for the government to infringe on your ability to keep and bear arms outside of the home uh, whether they have to issue you a license if they are a licensed state and so it was really really. Uh, interesting to see the ripple effects and it was done and the reason the ripple effects are so significant and so profound is because they changed the way a lot of the gun cases should be looked at or they've you know opined that you need to look at the second amendment through strict scrutiny not through intermediate scrutiny or stepped scrutiny or two-step scrutiny so the Supreme Court and the, all the Court of Appeals and District Courts throughout the land have been ruling on this two-step approach, you know, in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years to basically 
keep gun control buoyant and keep it viable because everyone knows if you look at it at strict scrutiny, it kind of goes away. It crumbles, right? Uh, because there's no text or history or tradition of gun control in our country. And it's only through, um, you know, this two-step approach where people are now saying, or governments are saying, we want this, so we got to figure out how to make it work. Well, this decision has really put that to bed. Um, and so we're seeing a big ripple effect. We're going to talk a lot about that in this show today. Um, but also some breaking news is that Paula Moretti was ordered to pay $4 million for selling 19 guns. Uh, and it's this is funny. Stay with me here before you start jumping in the chat and saying, they're not guns. But this is what they've been ordered to pay, uh, $4 million for selling 19 guns, quote-unquote, to D.C. residents. Uh, a manufacturer of untraceable ghost guns have been ordered to pay D.C. $4 million as part of a legal settlement that will also prohibit it from selling any guns to the city residents in the future. Notice the reoccurring theme of guns here. Anyway, the settlement announced Wednesday stems from a lawsuit filed by D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine against Polymer 80 in June of 2020, where he accused the Nevada-based company of illegally selling do-it-yourself kits for gun, uh, for handguns and AR-15s without serial numbers to D.C. residents. Those types of guns, which police say are untraceable, are commonly known as ghost guns. According to Racine, Polymer 80 sold 19 gun kits to D.C. residents in violation of city law. The judgment against Polymer Polymer 80 is a major victory for D.C. residents and for public safety, and it will help slow the flow of deadly, untraceable ghost guns in our community, said Racine in a statement. The win for D.C. comes as more cities and states are taking action against manufacturers of gun parts that can be assembled into fully functioning firearms. Interesting how they just took the, uh, took the turn here, and now they're calling them gun parts. In April, the U.S. Department of Justice unveiled new rules restricting the sale of ghost guns by requiring that buyers be subjected to a background check. As of June 1st, the sale of ghost guns have been fully banned in Maryland and the same day Baltimore announced its own lawsuit against Polymer 80, accusing the company of selling guns to those who want to evade law enforcement or cannot obtain a gun from a federal firearms licensee, including underage buyers, buyers with criminal convictions, and gun traffickers. All right, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Um, And I think this was on... uh, ammo land or bearing arms, but um, except Polymer 80 wasn't selling guns. They were selling pieces of plastic that could, with effort, be turned into a firearms receiver. But without that work, it's never anything but a hunk of plastic. Makes it sound like, from the original part of the uh, story, that they're you know packaging up guns and shipping them to people's doors with no regard to who they are or what, what it is. Uh, Let me know what you think, 508-444-2120. And the story continues here. Uh, It's never anything but a big plastic hunk of plastic. Plus, as Polymer 80 noted in its defense, there's no evidence that they were specifically marketed to D.C. residents, criminals, or anyone of the sort. Then again, the way our legal system 
uh, seems to work, at least when it's part of the firearms industry. Even if they don't make actual guns, things like backing up your accusations, excuse me, don't actually apply. You simply have to make claims about their marketing, and it seems judges just accept those at face value. I'm sorry, but this can't go on indefinitely. My hope is that the Supreme Court that knocks some of these ridiculous claims down so hard it cracks the earth's crust. This is the article that I'm reading from. Polymer 80 didn't seem to be doing anything illegal. They were selling a product that was legal and doing it in full compliance with the law. How that results in them getting a fine is just one of many questions that remain to be answered. We live in a nation of laws, but those laws apply differently if you're part of the wrong industry, apparently. So my question for you, and you can weigh in, 508-444-2120, you can text or leave a message or call us when we're live, uh, is how come the government is never required to pay millions of dollars when they are caught restricting the rights of its citizens. Because that's what they do. They actually restrict your most basic civil rights, especially if you live in D.C. And how come they're never ordered to pay restitution, pay millions of dollars of punitive damages to the people that they restrict and that they infringe upon? That's my question. But they're so easy to hand out $4 million judgments against a company that is following the law. Let me know what you think about this. But we want to thank you for listening to Rapid Fire. If you use this week's code CAPECOD, all one word, at capegunworks.com, you'll get a very special discount on your entire online order. Go to capegunworks.com and use the code CAPECOD to get your discount today. We will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm glad you're here and glad you're listening. Uh, and before the break, we were talking about uh, Polymer 80 being ordered to pay $4 million to the D.C. courts. Hopefully it'll be appealed, and hopefully it'll be appealed in light of this Bruin decision with strict, strict scrutiny. Uh, but I think it's a, a very unsettling narrative that is being played out continually across U.S. cities, especially in restrictive states and places like District of Columbia, where they want to attack the gun industry from a financial perspective by 
forcing them to defend themselves, get legal protection, and then ultimately bankrupting them through uh, these type of lawsuits that result in million-dollar uh, you know, findings. And if you think about it, um, whenever a government agency restricts somebody's right to keep and bear arms, uh, they are never held financially a- accountable. Um, I know the ACLU sues cities and states that have been caught uh, you know, trying to infringe upon people's civil rights, uh, especially as it relates to race, um, race-based items and, uh, you know, opportunities for people of color uh, whenever they're discriminated against. Why doesn't that happen in the firearms industry? This is something we need to ask Keith Langer one of these times or one of the attorneys that we have on the show because it has driven me nuts from, from the very day I became a gun owner. When I was 18 years old, I'm like, let's sue them for violating our civil rights. It's very simple. In my mind, it's very simple. But no one ever has to pay. No one ever has to pay big money of restitution. And that really ticks me off, especially when you get a decision like the Bruin decision that came down the pipe, uh, you know, a couple months ago. We have, uh, you know, basically Justice Thomas saying that, yes, your rights have been violated because no one's been looking at this correctly. Uh, and no one's going to have to pay or give an account for that. Um, but this brings the new regulations going into effect on the receiver and frames in a couple of weeks into sharp focus. So, you know, very soon the ATF regulations, rule changes are going to go into effect as it relates to um, receivers and frames. And uh, if you think about it, uh, not to mention the uh, uh, the arm brace, uh, but there's been a legal challenge just this week as a result of this. Um, on Thursday, a Second Amendment organization filed a federal lawsuit challenging the legality of the new rules, arguing that the Biden administration overstepped its executive branch authority by imposing the new rules, which FPC says is the proper purview of Congress, not DOJ or ATF. So stay with me. This gets a little wordy, but uh, it's really important. The final rule defies the plain language of the Gun Control Act, and longstanding agency interpretation suggests that the items at issue here, sometimes colloquially referred to as receiver blanks, unfinished frames or receivers, or 80% frames or receivers, are not firearms, says the complaint. Through this rulemaking, however, the agencies are attempting to create a broad, sweeping definition by including items that are not yet frames or receivers of such weapons and by including frame or receiver kits. Neither the president nor any federal agency has the power to make law, said FPC's senior attorney for constitutional litigation, Cody J. Wisnowski. The Constitution is clear. Congress has the power to make law, and the executive branch is limited to enforcing that law. But here, President Biden openly admitted that he would circumvent Congress and have the DOJ and ATF issue a new regulation that go well beyond the congressionally established law and seek to greatly expand the ATF's reach. FPC will not stand idly by while the federal government tramples the rights of peaceable individuals through agency rulemaking goes on to say the agency rules are set to go into effect as well for the stabilizing brace uh, for pistols. This 
proposed rules for stabilizing braces aren't really hard and fast rules at all. This is where it gets interesting. Instead, the ATF says it will use a number of things to determine on a case-by-case basis whether or not a firearm is a pistol under federal statutes or a short-barreled rifle which would have to be registered as an NFA item. There's no way for existing gun owners to know exactly what the ATF would consider their AR-style pistol to be, but the agency is taking a better-safe-than-sorry approach by recommending that all AR-style pistol owners be allowed to register their guns without paying the normal $200 tax stamp. Both of these are examples of why the Supreme Court case of West Virginia v. EPA is so important to gun owners. It declares that these three-letter agencies do not have the power to make law via regulation. Page 4 of the syllabus in Section 2, Congress did not grant EPA in Section 111D of the Clean Air Act the authority to to devise emission caps based on the generation shifting. And further states, this is a major question case. EPA claimed to discover an unheralded power representing a transformative expansion of its regulatory authority in the vague language of a long extant but rarely used statute designed as a gap filler. That discovery allowed it to adopt a regulatory program that Congress had conspicuously declined to enact itself. So I personally don't recall Congress enacting a law that regulates bump stocks. Remember that? I know they talked about it, but then they, you know, Trump actually did this and it was wrong on his part to do it. But he delegated this authority to an agency that doesn't have this authority to do that. They basically came down under their technology division and ruled that a bump stock is now a firearm or now a machine gun, which is crazy because it it was, you know, settled law or settled that it wasn't for so long. And then all of a sudden they just changed their mind. So I also don't remember a time when Congress enacted a law about arm braces. Remember that? No, neither do I, because they didn't. They never ruled on it. Uh, They didn't enact a law or rule or uh, delegate authority to the ATF as it pertains to um, the frames or receivers. In fact, there is legal definition about what makes a frame or a receiver. And Polymer 80 hasn't violated that. But now all of a sudden there's a moving goalpost because these three-letter agencies love power and they all of a sudden want to start becoming judge, jury, and executioner all in one fell swoop. They are operating under the executive branch of the government and then all of a sudden they, they jump over the line and become the legislative branch and the judicial branch all at once. They start to interpret their own regulation and change the definition whenever it suits their cause or suits the will of the administration that they're serving under. And this is a gross violation of the separation of powers. And I think that this decision of West Virginia versus EPA is going to hopefully get in the way of the ATF about to enact this new policy and rule changes. Um, So we'll see how this all plays out. And I, I remember when It happened originally with the bump stock. I had a lot of friends that, you know, really hated on Trump for this. And I myself took him to task and said, this is stupid to be like playing games and, you know, having our rights up for grabs and having our rights 
on the table as like pawns and, you know, pieces to be traded about, even as insignificant as the bump stock is and as a novelty of an item as it is, it's giving them power where they don't have power. And a lot of people felt that that would, that should be, you know, taken off the table and it's, oh, it really is effectively a machine gun when you put it all together. I've had experience with these bump stocks and frankly, they are clunky and hard to shoot. And I've made a, a observation that I still maintain is true. And I thank God that the Las Vegas shooter actually was using a bump stock and not just a good quality scope and bipod on a, on a rifle where he could take aimed precision shots. After the initial volley, when people started running, the bump stock was a major detriment to somebody who wanted to cause mass casualties. And frankly, uh, having shot them at the range and realized how funky it is to actually shoot them, uh, it was probably a good thing that that's what he had, if that's what he had, um, if you take the story on its face value. Uh, but what do you think? How am I wrong on this? <laughs> take me to task. 508-444-2120. Um, I don't think that our rights should be pawns on a table and should be negotiated with at any given uh, moment. I do think that we should paint or we should focus the spotlight on those who are actually responsible for these type of crimes and for this type of, um, you know, evil that is perpetrated upon uh, upon the people. So because I don't remember ATF, uh, I'm sorry, Congress giving power to the ATF in these ways, um, these actions have severe, dire, and potentially life-changing consequences, which could include violence. Uh, a few weeks ago on this show, we talked about the guy Mejia from uh, Florida who decided to attach a stock to his CZ Scorpion pistol. And under this murky definition of if he had put a brace on it, it would have been fine, and he would have been able to shoulder fire it, and it would have been fine based on the uh, past few years of how the ATF has ruled on these arm braces. Um, And because he chose to put a stock on it, now he's going to go to jail for 21 months. A nonviolent victimless crime in the privacy of his own home he will go to jail for 21 months in federal prison and i'm sorry but that is wrong that is wrong in this day and age uh when we see violent criminals out on their own personal recognizance or out on bail or low bond and they go out to commit their violence upon others anyway what do you think uh We're going to a break, but you should go to rapidfireradio.us and check out the latest Rapid Fire gear. Show your Pro 2A by wearing a shirt, grab a hat, or a flag, and go to rapidfireradio.us and click on the Get Rapid Fire gear. Don't forget the discount code, Cape Cod, all one word. And we have a real interesting guest, our own G-Webs, who is on the Super Chat all the time. We'll see you after the break. You don't want to miss out. Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. 
we've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, keyed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I'm really happy to have on the line someone who's a frequent contributor to our chat and, uh, you know, a a guy who's um, all over the Internet as far as gun content is concerned. And uh, he's affectionately known as G-Webs, and he goes by gun websites. But how are you today, G-Webs? Good. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to jump on. Yeah, my pleasure. And thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, I was telling the story earlier about uh, how you found us. You're just driving around in the car and you you bumped into us on the website. uh, I'm sorry, on the radio show in Tucson. And uh, why don't you tell everyone about that and about what you've been doing as far as uh, the firearms world is concerned as of late? Right on. Well, thanks for the opportunity, and thanks to everybody listening on the other side of the country. I'm out here in Tucson. So, yeah, I was listening to the radio one Saturday morning. You guys are out here on Saturday morning, so I heard that you were talking guns, but not just guns, Second Amendment stuff. I listened again the next week intentionally, and then, yeah, you were talking about Second Amendment stuff again, so that got me over to the website, and I think it might have just been the next week, so I don't know. You know, it was meant to happen or something. I don't know when you started broadcasting in Tucson, um, but... Uh, it's the station that has Art Bell on at night. So, you know, that's, that's the station that that radio is tuned in on. I'm in but anyway, company. I, uh, heard, <laughs> I heard the interview you did with uh, Riding Shotgun with Charlie and heard about the shop and how you're doing the show. And I I've, I've know Charles Heller out here in Tucson who does a radio show. So I'm familiar with uh, the effort that it requires to do a radio show. It's no insignificant feat. And you're doing it in Massachusetts, which I give you a lot of credit for doing. <laughs> and anyway, so I started listening to the show, and yeah, I've been a big fan ever since. Yeah, no, you've been a great contributor in the chat. You always throw some great ideas out there and give us some food for thought. And uh, you have a show as well every, uh, well, I think you do it every day, but um, you do one once a month called Every Second Matters that you invited me on, and I had a great time talking on that, and it was a great little roundtable discussion. And so what do you do, like, you do host a show every day, right? I know it's 
like midnight Eastern or something like that, right? Yep, we have the Daily Gun Show. It's 1,300-something episodes in. We've been doing it since 2016, every weeknight at midnight, your time. So that's only 9 p.m. out here on this coast, so it's not unreasonable out here. But it does give us the middle of the night. Like I mentioned, Art Bell, I'm a big fan of the overnight radio show concept. So our version of that on the podcast, our you know podcast version of that, gives us the opportunity to go long. You know, we've had, we've had in fact, just a couple weeks ago, we had, or just this last Monday, had an interview that turned into a four-hour conversation about second amendment stuff wow. with a retired quote unquote she's retired but she also talked with us for four hours right but with uh, a second amendment activist about uh how to be an activist uh, becoming an activist in 2022 the specifics of what you don't need to worry about now and what what we you know voids in the in the conversation so yeah we have a podcast each night each night we focus on a different topic because uh, our goal is like, I think very similar to your goal in big picture is to share our second amendment. I've been mm-hmm. a gun owner my whole life and you know, there's a lot of facets to what the industry and the community and our culture has influenced the world, our country and our, you know, everything, the, the industry, I mean, in, in mechanics, a cult invented interchangeable parts. And thanks mm-hmm. to that, we have the industrial revolution and, you know, there's a big significant Part to guns, so I've been trying to share that, and the the show offers a different uh, facet of the gun community each night. Very cool, and uh, you've been at it a while too. I mean, when I went on that show every second matters before you jumped on live, we got to talk a little bit, uh, and you were telling me you've been at this since like 2012 or something like that, right? Well, actually, I started doing this in the 90s. So when wow. I was working in AOL and, and Microsoft, I started to share just doing what we do out here, go hunting and fishing online mm-hmm. and websites and then building apps. And as phones turned into smartphones and everybody's Internet got faster and we could do more stuff online. I've been a fan of building things online uh, since the Internet's been around and a focus on firearms kind of merged in 2004. So we've been focus and almost exclusively on share on our second amendment and everything that entails since 2004. So way before internet or maybe way before YouTube mm. when the internet forums were the big thing yeah. and we would build websites and then eventually like I say, some other apps and things. Sure. And you were also, you know, one of the first to kind of go to shot show and put the latest guns of the day up online and you do it at night or something. Well, talk a little bit about that. That, that intrigued me the other day when you were, Telling me about that. Okay. Yeah, that's a neat story. So we started going to SHOT Show as media in 2005, and we got to help them understand what a website was. Somebody going to the, to the show as an internet, what was that? Because at the time it was all television shows and magazines, writers. So we helped establish that. And then by 2009, people started bringing cameras and stuff. So my, I think to summarize that, I don't know how many years now, story that's been it's been an awesome experience to be media at shot show at the industry trade show Mm. and to see how that how they adopted to the media and how the the industry itself has adopted through the media to the industry to the community and you know in all different kinds of ways but uh yeah so being able to go to shot show as media has been been a, a lot of fun and really interesting for our goal to help share the whole cult the whole community and you were telling me a story about how, like, you'd show up with a digital camera and be taking pictures of them in, in someone's booth, and they were trying to figure out what you were doing and and that you you were going to upload them? Like, what does that mean? Like, and you'd have them visible on the interwebs, you know, that night for for people to see, right? 
you know, if you think about it, that was a new thing at some point. And that was through about 2005 to 2007. People kind of figured out what the whole, we were taking pictures of things that people on the forums would ask about. So a digital snapshot, and we're talking one megapixel cameras, I'm guessing back then, <laughs> very little cameras. But at the same time, there was a lot of people with other digital cameras that were taking pictures to do, uh, I don't know, like an airsoft version or maybe just a picture on a T-shirt, you know, some copyright and trademark infringement type of stuff. So they were very skeptical about photographs. We had to have uh, what they call them, vouchers or whatever, disclaimers from in writing from everybody who was in a photograph and it was wow. very restrictive. And then uh, basically when, when smartphones and people walking around with tablets became more common, they stopped enforcing that because people became much more comfortable with images online. Yeah, now you go to SHOT Show and it'd be hard not to be in a photograph or get a, your picture taken or be in some live stream that someone's doing. It's literally going on all around you. With, oh, that's uh, an awesome facet. And, and you think about it, SHOT Show used to be just hunting, shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. That's what SHOT Show is. And it started out because it was a lot of regional shows. They started into one. And then it wasn't until, from what I understand, the 90s that police even showed up. And then a little bit of military showed up after that. So at that time in the 2000s, before there was instant images online and those photo disclaimers for all of us with cameras, hmm. uh, they, they, you would have people who were the procurement people for special operations teams or people that were development in the military, people that you know had jobs that you uh, undercover police might be showing up to, to shot to do stuff. And they didn't want those pictures out there. So there was reasons to have these impositions to the press, right? Mm. But then as time changed, like you say, everyone has phones. What's happened is people who shouldn't get their pictures taken don't show, to sh show up to shot anymore. So the industry has adopted to the culture and the, the familiarity of technology. So mm. it's, it's all part of what I try to cover when uh, in our show. And so that when you think of that in the big picture, some of these things like you just talked about, the reasons that we're under attack that you talked about is our, 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 the rights that are protected by the Second Amendment are under attack mm -hmm. is because we don't always think about it from the bird's eye view. And they're able to use us often as a mechanism and take us either off the playing field for other topics or to get us to spend a lot of money. You know, they can use us in ways. And one of the ways that I'm hoping to combat that is just through awareness, understanding this isn't the first time we've been to this rodeo. Here's what happened last time. And here's who's responsible. Here's who made money the last time. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, don't you agree that um, this Bruin decision literally could be one of the most significant decisions ever as it relates to firearms and that could change a lot of that and, you know, years and maybe even decades and decades of uh, law enforcement technique even and uh, regulatory uh, agencies overview of the gun industry could all change in the next five or 10 years. Who knows how long it's going to take, but um, what, what's your feeling on all that? Yeah. How much time we have. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, I agree, you know, you had 170 something years before we even had the, any federal firearms laws and any kind of court cases, you know, to deal with those laws and their applicability to the constitution or, you know, how they apply to our civil rights that are protected by the constitution. Right. So, they're happening in modern times. The people who've been around in the fight are able to literally pass the baton on and show us what they did. People like um, Rhonda Ezell, who, Ezell, who uh, fought the, up to the Supreme Court twice in the city, against the city of Chicago mm -hmm. after the Miller decision challenged uh, this, the state of Illinois, right? So we have people who challenged the Supreme Court and won 
and then can have created a place called Chicago Guns Matter, a website where she offers what she did and how she did it to any other people who need to do the same. So we live in a, and this is all happening, like you say, in a time when we've got more people involved and, and more resources available to us. You know, they couldn't, it couldn't, we live in an interesting time for right. uh, firearms owners and those that are interested in what the rights protected by the second amendment give us. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an extremely fascinating time. Um, and I think that uh, the more ways we can, shine the light into the dark corners uh, and the more people that continually start to buy firearms for whatever reason that interests them. Some people it's, you know, yeah, it's going to be self-defense reasons, but other people it's, you know, the historicity of it. It's the, um, you know, just the, the nature of collecting or, you know, there's a hundred different reasons why they, they want to buy a certain gun or have something. Some people inherit a gun and that starts them down the road. All of a sudden a a relative leaves them one and they want to learn about it. They want to know about it. They want to get trained on how to use it or shoot it and everything else. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting, uh, um, you know, uh, concept. And, and I'm, I know yourself, you've probably gone through the whole gamut of it, you know, from collecting to, you know, second amendment lore and, and, uh, you know, and certainly spoke to enough people about all the different reasons they own guns. For sure. And it's neat is that I'm doing this my whole lifetime, you know, decades, and I'm still discovering new things that are not just brand new things, but new things that have been around forever. And now, that again, with technology and people sharing and becoming more aware, we're finding things that have been around for a long time. Right. So... I, I enjoy whenever I get to get a chance to jump on one of your uh, streams and listen along and s- check in and ch- with what you got going on. Uh, are there any projects in particular that you have on the horizon that people, uh, you know, would find interesting to check out? I know all the stuff you do is very interesting, and the in the roundtable discussion format is really cool as well with the guests that you have on your shows. Uh, what is some of the stuff you've been working on recently or talked about? I know I saw something about. Uh, the anniversary of Red Dawn, there was some stuff like that. So you get into a lot of the nuance around firearms as well. Thanks. Yep. Uh, yes. Yesterday, the 10th, when we're recording this, yesterday was the uh, anniversary, or no, Wednesday was the anniversary of um, Red Dawn. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm a big fan of that movie and significance in culture, but also, yeah, in guns. So we made a big deal about that and had a trivia thing. Um, as far as projects, I do have a bunch of them on the uh, the calendar, but uh, you can follow us on all the maintenance socials, and uh, we encourage you to check out uh, the other, uh, well, just check out our other platforms, YouTube and Instagram, I guess, are the big ones, Gun Websites on YouTube and Instagram. Gun Websites is the handle that people should check out. Just type in gun websites. Yeah, it's simple. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, G-Webs. We appreciate your input and the vast knowledge of the gun industry that you have. We'll definitely have to do this again, and uh, I appreciate your time. Remember to use this week's code CAPECOD at capegunworks.com to get a special discount on your web orders. That's code CAPECOD. So go to capegunworks.com right now to get your special discount using code CAPECOD. And we will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. Still there?
you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show about guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And thank you, G-Webs, for joining us. That was awesome. We'll have to do it again uh, sometime. And it worked out better live than trying to record it. We were trying to record before the show started, and we had all the gremlins fighting us. So, uh, But thank you very much for jumping on. And uh, if you want to be a part of the show, you can always give us a call at 508-444-2120. Leave a message, send a text, or call us when we're live, and we'll get to your questions. Uh, If you want to chat, you know, jump in the chat as well. We'll get to your questions a little bit later in the show. I just want to continue with some of the thoughts I had um, about, you know, the news that's going on out there in the the world around Second Amendment. Uh, We were talking about the pistol uh, brace thing and the, you know, frame and receiver changes all coming up. But um, one of the things that happened uh, the other day is um, a company called Oakland Tactical filed a lawsuit against Howell Township, Michigan, for using zoning to prevent the ability to construct commercial ranges in the township, particularly a thousand yard range on property, which was a former quarry. And this is an article on MOLand.com, by the way. Uh, Oakland Tactical has an option to purchase the property to construct such a range. This really caught my attention because you know, I remember what I went through when we built our indoor range and zoning and everything else. And people have been held up by zoning issues to, who have wanted to do gun stores or build indoor ranges. Even I think the town of Newton in Massachusetts made some ordinance that you couldn't start a gun store in the town of Newton. And so they're using zoning as a way to prevent people from building a gun store or a range or whatever. And on uh, July 11th, an amendment complaint was filed by Oakland Tactical. From the uh, complaint, it says, Howell Township has prohibited the sitting, construction, and operation of shooting ranges in the town throughout its zoning regulations by failing to provide or allow any designated areas within the town wherein the sitting, uh, construction, or operation of a shooting range would be permissible. And it goes on to say that through its actions and inactions, Howell Township has infringed the rights of Oakland Tactical Supply uh, to site, construct, and operate a shooting range within the borders of the township, effectively banning all firearms ranges within the township and the rights of the individual plaintiffs to practice for lawful purposes with firearms. So uh, this has now been re—is going to be looked at under the— 
scrutiny of the Bruin decision. So Oakland Tactical relied, among other things, on the Ezel case from Chicago, where the Seventh Circuit ruled uh, they could not ban commercial gun ranges in Chicago uh, for use or a complicated regulatory scheme to do so. On September 10, 2020, in the United States District Court, Eastern District, Southern Division, Judge Bernard Friedman dismissed the lawsuit on the grounds the zoning ordinance didn't infringe on the plaintiff's Second Amendment rights. This goes back to the first segment when I was talking about how come these guys never have to pay a fine or pay punitive damages. But this judge obviously was, um, you know, wrongfully ruling on it. So uh, on March 10th, 2021, the case was appealed to the Sixth Court of Appeals. And then the decision in Bruin was published on June 22 of 2022, the Sixth Circuit vacated the order to dismiss and remanded the Oakland tactical case back to the district court on August 5th, 2022 for consideration under the standards required by Bruin from the sixth circuit court court order. We are unable to apply this standard based on the records and arguments currently before us. The district court should decide in the first instance, whether Oakland tacticals proposed course of conduct is covered by the plain text of the second amendment. See blah, blah, blah. It goes on to cite a bunch of case law. If the district court concludes that Oakland tacticals proposed course of conduct is covered by the plain text of the second amendment, it should then determine whether historical evidence to be produced by the town in the first instance demonstrates that the ordinance's shooting regulations are consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. This is a good one. Uh, So um, (laughs) uh, it goes on to say that the historical record compiled by respondents does not demonstrate a tradition of broadly prohibiting the public carry of commonly used firearms for self-defense or limiting public carry only to those law-abiding citizens who demonstrate a special need for self-defense. For the foregoing reasons, we vacate the district court's grant of judgment on the pleadings and its order denying reconsideration and remand for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. The district court must first determine if zoning cases infringe on the exercise of the Second Amendment rights. If the court decides it does not violate the Second Amendment, the case will likely be appealed to the Sixth Circuit again. And if the court district finds that zoning in this case infringes upon the Second Amendment rights, then the defendants are required to deliver proof of a historical precedent for such regulation. It has been widely accepted by American history with precedents near to either the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791 or the ratification of the 14th Amendment in 1868. Zoning cases are nearly all means and cases where local governments restrict land use as a means to an end. Zoning is relatively recent development created in the progressive era of 1900. So, Bruin states that means and cases are precluded by the Second Amendment. We will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Made in America since 1949. Family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA 
to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Snap Safe, featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. Snap Safe, a modular safe with welded safe security. All right, welcome back to the show that's all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, rapid fire. And if you want your voice to be heard, you can call 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. I got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to plow through here. Um, that, that one decision that we were talking about uh, and how the Bruin decision states that means and cases are precluded by the Second Amendment. So it'll be real interesting to watch that uh, if states and towns and you know townships can continue to uh violate people's second amendment law uh rights by uh zoning violations and all these other petty ways of saying not in my backyard but another case that i'm watching really close is and i've talked about this at length in the past about joe biden's zero tolerance policy atf that is now under the helm of uh, Stephen Dettelback is the first permanent director of the ATF in a long time. Uh, there's a story today about uh, master gunsmith James Morrison, who founded JM Gun Repair 46 years ago after doing gun repairs in his garage. The gun shop had been a local institution ever since, offering firearms, black powder, and reloading gear, ammunition, including hard-to-find calibers, and James's incredible skills as a master gunsmith with 50 years of experience. The business is ideally located straddling the county line between Sarasota and Bradenton, Florida, in none other than the Gunshine State. But this has been a family legacy for 46 years, says James's grandson. Noah Morrison, his father and uncle work at the shop too. So you got a multi-generational family business uh, that's been there for a long time. And Noah, who just turned 21, dreamed of becoming the third generation of Morrisons to operate his family business. However, his dreams were dashed when George Hancock, an ATF IOI investigator known as an IOI, walked into the shop at around the same time Joe Biden announced his war on rogue gun dealers. During the audit, he found faults in our paperwork, Noah said. In the past, for these types of minor faults, an auditor would have just handed us a pen and told us to fix them. Noah's father, Benway Morrison, agrees. These were clerical errors, but they changed the definition, he said. Under their new definition, they said that our violations were willful. After 46 years, years, we never gave a gun to someone who shouldn't have it. But that didn't matter. None of the violations were on Biden's rogue gun dealer list. So here's what the list states. So the rogue is defined as, number one, transferring a firearm to a prohibited person. Number two, failing to run a required background check. Number three, falsifying records such as a firearms transaction form. Number four, failing to respond to an ATF tracing request. Number five, refusing to permit ATF to conduct an inspection in violation of the law. None of those things occurred in this case. However, the ATF is revoking licenses for the most minor of errors, errors not on those five-point lists. And as a result, a special report we published in May, this is Amolan, uh, revealed that FFL revocations increased a staggering 500%. As soon as this story broke about the zero tolerance, 
I said, guys, you wait and watch. When they can't find this willful violation of, you know, the law and these rogue agents that are out there selling guns out the back door to to criminals, they're going to start to bring the hammer down onto regular gun shops. An effective June 23rd, JM Gun Repair can no longer transfer or sell firearms. The family intends to keep the shop open, selling ammunition, reloading, and back black powder supplies, gear, and other accessories, uh, but not guns or even gunsmithing services. They post, posted a note on their website announcing the changes. Our family legacy is gone, Benway said. My father started this business as a master gunsmith, is a rare breed, and he can tell you the details about a gun made 100 years ago. He's still sharp as a tack, and our family was screwed over by the ATF. The worst part for him and his family is that there's no way to appeal the ATF's order. There was no due process. Benway contacted uh, Ron DeSantis' office but told it was a federal matter he should contact Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, and he never received a response from Scott's office. One of Rubio's assistants told him to send more information, but he has not heard back. This is unbelievable. They, they go on to say that they think they're trying to build an illegal gun registry because when a dealer has to surrender his license, they're ordered to submit all of the records to the ATF, and that, you know, after 46 year, years of... Uh, being in business, they have thousands of sales. They've got a ton of records of what you bought and when and who. So um, interestingly enough, neither Jason Medina, the public information officer at ATF's Tampa Field Division, nor Aaron Gerber, the division of director of IOI, returned calls seeking comments to this story. The takeaways are that um, it, it's clear that the Biden and Harris administration believes that if they eliminate gun dealers, they'll eliminate guns or at least make it harder or restrictive a la Massachusetts methodology for the last you know 30 years. But since there's only a handful of real rogues out of the 50,000 licensed gun dealers doing business in this country, the administration will have to devise another tactic. As a result, they came up with this willful scheme. So interestingly enough, and I don't have time to talk about it, but... This is very reminiscent of the Milwaukee Operation Fearless that happened uh, over a seven-month period. I've alluded to it several times on this show, and I really want to tie this up like a bow. So you're going to have to tune into the second hour of the show because I want I want you guys to hear this. It's unbelievable uh, the the lengths that the ATF will go uh, to to really entrap people, if you will. And so this this uh, willfulness is something that. Uh, they've added to clerical errors. So now the most insignificant clerical error is a willful violation, which means the dealer is a rogue and their license is quickly revoked. The ATF was happy to play along since they've always been more than willing to bend over for the White House, especially regarding the constitutionality of the request. Uh, the two mar- hallmarks of the Morrison family businesses have always been safety and family. And Ben Wayne used to train Boy Scouts. His father taught hunter safety classes. They educate uh, every first-time gun buyer they have before they leave the shop. And goes on to say, my, my parents could have retired years ago, but they wanted to keep the business going for their children and grandchildren. It's frustrating to me that now my son Noah is old enough to be a part of the family business, and he can't. Tragic and terrible news for somebody who is a leader in the industry and has been there and an icon in the industry now has to close their doors all because of government over-regulation and overreach. 
And guys, that's the end of the first show. It's it's a whirlwind sometimes. So Rapid Fire goes on for another hour. So you make sure you tune in at rapidfireradio.us or call or text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. And you can ask your questions and check out some of our online content. Freedom will always be on the right side of history. So stay tuned or we'll see you next time. I'm Toby Leary and this is Rapid Fire. tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Alexander Hamilton said, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. This is Toby from Cape Gunworks. When our founding fathers drafted the Second Amendment, there was no question of its meaning. Today, if you have questions, come to Cape Gunworks for some advice, training, or to send a few rounds downrange. We have a fully stocked pro shop with a huge selection of guns, crossbows, archery, classes, rentals, a 15-lane range, and a friendly staff. Come on down to Cape Gunworks Airport Road Hyannis or capegunworks.com. This is the Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, keyed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. 
Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Welcome to Rapid Fire, a 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics. And tune in each week at rapidfireradio.us. To join the conversation and be a part of the show, you can call or text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. Remember to like us on all of our social media platforms. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parlor, Twitch, Telegram, Rumble, and Instagram is CGW underscore backup or go to rapid fire radio on all of those same platforms um so anyway uh in the first hour we've been going fast and furious on all this breaking news of the day and and whatnot and i'm gonna wrap up what i was saying in the first hour with a with a bow here and then we're gonna get to your questions i promise um i know some are streaming in on the chat and uh but what we were talking about before the break was this um, this shop down in Florida that's been recommended for uh, revocation, and it, as of August 23rd, that'll be their last day in business, and they'll have to submit all their records to the ATF. Um, but what it was reminiscent of when I heard this zero-tolerance task force created was something that um, I read about years ago, and I know it's a little dated because it's from 2012, but out in Milwaukee, and they actually did this in several states. But basically, I'm going to give you the synopsis of it in Milwaukee. It was something called Operation Fearless, and over a seven-month period in 2012, the ATF set up and ran a storefront in a high-crime area of Milwaukee. The FBI helped them for a few weeks until a bunch of agents voiced their concern about the operation's tactical planning and security, which ultimately led to the Bureau leaving this thing. Imagine that. The FBI was saying, this, is, this isn't right. You know, they're doing unscrupulous things and left. And that shows you how the ATF is, is operating if, if, uh, if the FBI won't even be a part of it. But anyway, in the end, uh, the string garnered 144 firearms as well as some drugs and stolen property. However, among those prosecuted was a defendant who was later diagnosed as mildly mentally retarded. And if you look into this story, it's it's actually heartbreaking. Uh, they, they They managed to convince this poor kid to get a tattoo on his neck of the logo of the storefront to basically spread the word. And they gave him... 10 bucks to go out and pass out flyers for this operation, this uh, storefront. Um, and they uh, basically um, uh, set up, he set up at least 10 buys between agents and associates of his besides selling guns and drugs to himself. The store made local news after three ATF issued firearms uh, were stolen from a, and this is an article on guns.com, by the way, uh, was, were stolen from a government owned SUV, including an M4 rifle. And if you've been following along with the whole assault weapons ban, we know what an M4 is, right? It is a true assault weapon. In other words, it's select fire. It fires fully automatic. Uh, And this rifle was parked in front of the shop. And a subsequent burglary of the shop uh, incurred losses of $39,000 in property, including ATF tactical ballistic shield, which was later found in an alley and recovered. Uh, By the way, the... um, 
the M4 rifle was never recovered. And uh, so that means the ATF lost a machine gun out in the wonderful neighborhood of uh, Milwaukee, where a high crime area of Milwaukee. And all prosecutors went after 46 defendants in relation to the guns and drugs sold on the undercover agents. Through three, uh, though three cases were dismissed over ma- mistaken identification by the agents, including one individual who was in jail at the time of the alleged crime. So they charged a guy with this type of crime, and meanwhile he's sitting in jail. Like, what? What's going on right now? I don't know. You know, he's like in jail. How did I? Set up undercover buys in jail? Okay. So a 2013 review of the ATF Office of Professional Responsibility and Security Operations ordered by then-director B. Todd Jones after attention was drawn to the sting by media reports found that management, staffing, and security were deficient in the operation and led to one supervisor being issued. Listen to this. One supervisor being issued a letter of reprimand and five other individuals being issued a memoranda of caution. This sounds like a life-altering, you know, course. Uh, you know, this could be career-changing, uh, right? This could be that that type of, uh, you know, they might have to go look for another job. Well, unfortunately not. James Birch, the ATF's Assistant Director for Governmental Affairs, wrote that seven special agents involved in the Milwaukee sting were reviewed. The ATF's Professional Review Board proposed a reprimand for one agent and issued a memorandum of caution, the mildest action the board can take to three others. The agent who faced the reprimand ultimately received a less serious charge of memorandum of caution. The decision was later made by an ATF official whose name was not included in the letter. So basically they got a a stiff talking to in the other room. And the other three uh, agents whose actions were reviewed receive what's known as uh, a memorandum of clearance, clearing them of any wrongdoing. Uh, The congressional members asked about Bernard B.J. Zapor, who was in charge of the ATF St. Paul Field Division in 2012 of Operation uh, Fearless. The Milwaukee office falls under the St. Paul Division. And as the Milwaukee operation was winding down, ATF Director B. Todd Jones promoted... Zapor. The two had worked closely in St. Paul, where Jones was a U.S. attorney. And uh, so what is the takeaway in all of this? The ATF can lose machine guns on the violent streets of Milwaukee. They can run fast and loose with all kinds of other government equipment. They can basically entrap people who are mentally retarded into doing their bidding on the streets and setting up buys. And the other thing that I'm not even talking about in this is the fact that they caused such a severe spike of crime in the area because people knew these guys in this storefront were overpaying. So people were literally going to gun stores, buying guns legally and paying full rack rate and then walking into this pawn shop and selling them to the government with taxpayer dollars to two to three times over what the the market would actually bear. And so people were starting to break into homes, smash and grab in cars, and bring them product because they were pay, overpaying for this illegal uh, or stolen goods with no questions asked. And out of the 46 people that got charged, I don't think it resulted in one conviction. 
or if it did, it was like minor, minor stuff. You'd have to read, read on, read into this. And so now the, the, the ATF agents themselves who were part of this get promoted after their stern talking to their memorandum of caution. But yet here's a family uh, business that's been in operation for 46 years that makes a little jot and tittle mistake on a form, like forgetting to dot an I or cross a T, and they have to close their doors and put people out of a job. It is unbelievable. If you don't think the ATF has become a rogue agency, and this isn't evidence of that, you have to wake up because it's time to focus on your rights being eroded before your very eyes by three-letter agencies that think they are their job in life, their, their duty to society is to get up and nail to the wall good businessmen who are following or trying to follow the letter of the law to the best of their ability in a confusing minefield of law that most law enforcement don't even understand. And yet they themselves can violate these same laws and they'll get promoted and they'll go on to do have career-enhancing moves further down the line. Don't even get me started on the IRS agents that are about to get hired, the 87,000 IRS agents. But we'll talk about that on another show. And uh, if you're hearing this and you don't have your gun license yet, yes, you still need to take a class in Massachusetts. Hopefully not forever. But as of right now, we have all kinds of regularly scheduled LTC classes, including ladies-only classes, couples classes, and we have multiple classes a week with live fire or non-live fire. Go to capegunworks.com to sign up, and we will be right back after this. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. your weekly show about all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm Toby Leary, your host, and you're listening to Rapid Fire. And I'm glad you've joined us. And I, I know I said I wasn't going to keep this going. I was going to get to your questions. However, I just haven't quite been able to tidy it up because we had our own version of this. Uh, I, I call it the JV team, Fast and Furious. Uh, but it was, it was called... Uh, 
the what was it? I was just saying Operation Fearless. So it's not Fast and Furious, it's Operation Fearless. But we had our own in this neck of the woods called Operation Fugazi. Whatever Fugazi means. But Brockton in New Bedford uh, had for over a year in 2012 to 2013 with breaks for extreme weather. The agency ran a mobile storefront out of a van in the Brockton in New Bedford, Massachusetts area, south of Boston, equipped with a GPS tracker uh, designed a ki- and a kill switch so the vehicle could be tracked and disabled if needed. Agents stocked in a leased cargo van with cigarettes and shoes seized in other law enforcement operations. And uh, Office of the in- Inspector General found that the van had been parked on at least one occasion near a school, but that if children approached the van, they were encouraged by agents to leave. <laughs> get away, kids, scram. You know, oh, how about these Nike Air Jordans? No, get away, kids, scram. So I'm sure that kids ended up in a in the mix. But in all, the operation produced few guns, which is four recovered along with small amounts of drugs and prescription pills for which agents paid $24,000. The U.S. agency, so $24,000 to get four guns off the street. This is some good good work by the, the intelligent clown show gumshoes that were on the street. And the U.S. Attorney General, uh, U.S. Attorney declined to prosecute any of the suspects in the sting, though the state court did indict one on firearms and narcotics charges for which they received six to seven years. So they got one conviction uh, from an indictment, and uh, a supervisor told the OIG the program and premise was flawed. Gee, do you think? Uh, Stating that the likelihood of bumping into an individual that just happens to be walking down the street as you're selling product out of the back of the van that's willing to trade you for a a gun for sneakers is nil. And, uh, yeah, you know... The the sad part is there's no accountability when the this gross waste of taxpayer dollars because yeah they paid out twenty four thousand dollars for these four guns and some drugs and whatever but you're forgetting the actual cost of the whole operation the mobilization the van rental the uh, the overtime the flights the hotel rooms the uh, communication the backup the other. Uh, you know, agencies that were involved in law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. It, it reaches unbelievable proportions. The Operation Fearless one in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was well way into the millions, millions and millions of dollars. And it's it's unbelievable that they're allowed to continue this. And this type of uh, law enforcement would be considered entrapment in any other type of uh, law enforcement activity. And you know they they've defended it in in court and defended it in congressional hearings saying oh well we get convictions yeah look at the cost of those convictions and maybe if you just did actual police work instead of trying to bait you know people in and entrap them in uh and in the meantime all the while you're trying to shut down people who are actually doing it right uh i think you could have a lot better results but anyway um let's get to some of your questions uh I saw that uh, from the chat line, someone says, uh, hey, love the channel. Anything new that caught your eye on the roster? Uh, any new ads? Thanks. This is Jeff from Peabody. And uh, Jeff, unfortunately, nothing new has come as a result of the roster since uh, last January. So the mass-approved uh, weapons roster uh which needs to go away and which firearms policy coalition does have a legal challenge uh in it's in the appeals court right now because it was dismissed by 
the district court, um, which is just ridiculous, but they have, um, you know, they, it does need to go away. Uh, there's nothing been added, even though the, the law says that they need to have a new roster four times a year. Well, we're sitting here in end of August and January was the last time it came out. So on this track record, are they really going to come out with three more lists between now and close of business in 2022? I don't think so. We'll be lucky to get one more. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's been nothing new added to the list. But if you're not aware of what got added to the list in uh, January, I'll tell you real quick, or February. I'm sorry, I misspoke. But um, we had some meta, you know, the Canix, the meta... Uh, the Century Arms Canic Meta SXF, uh, sorry, F- SFX. Today's a hard day for me, but fellas, uh, people. Uh, and the Meta SFT, which are both 9mm pistols. One's a 4-inch, one's a 5-inch. And they are a great gun for the money. Um, the Glock 44, which gets your hopes up, but guess what? We can't buy Glocks because it's Massachusetts. And uh, even in California, they can buy Glocks, by the way, although they're all Gen 3s. Um, But they added the Glock 22, Gen 5, 23, Gen 5, 27, Gen 5 as well. But once again, unless you're law enforcement, good luck. Uh, They also added the MC2SC, the MC2 subcompact, which is a good gun. Uh, They had the MC2C as of the list prior to that, but now they got the MC2 subcontract compact and that was the one that is about the size of the mc1 but now it's double stack in 10 rounds which it always should have been in the first place but um because the difference in the grip width is is minimal uh the other thing that they added was the um uh sig i'm sorry the springfield uh hellcat was added to the list and uh what was the other one that was added by springfield there was an xds uh with the optic uh, cut on it, which really wasn't much of an addition since the XDS was already on the list. Uh, they also added the uh, a couple of the 45 1911s. And then last but not least, uh, there was some SIG product, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. No, that was it. That was all that got added to the last list. I've been told FN, SIG, and Smith & Wesson all have stuff being added to the list, so that's a good Good thing. I don't know about Springfield Armory, um, if they'll add anything this time around, but I do know a bunch of guns were sent for testing by SIG, Smith, and FN. So stay tuned for that. That'll be good. Um, 508-444-2120 is the number. If we don't get to your question this week, we'll get to it next week. If you want to call me and be on the air, that's fine too. You can leave a message or text the chat line. So, um, the story about the guy going to the FBI office always starts with a guy with an AR-15 style rifle, but he used a nail gun to fire upon the office. So why add the AR-15 part? Um, I'm not sure, Cape Cod, but uh, I really haven't even paid much attention to that story, and I probably should read it. Uh, but it, it was uh, it was one of those things that it's like when there's a school shooting. You know the, the story's going to come out, and you know the call is going to come out for a ban on AR-15s. So that was kind of just what I expected. You know, I expected there'd be some news 
report of some nut job with an AR-15. And in this case, I did hear that he was using a nail gun and he holed himself up with a nail gun. But anyway, it's it's one of those things that, um, you know, you, you just never, uh, it never fails to meet your expectations. And um, unfortunately, it's, it's the way it is, unless the narrative doesn't meet the gun control narrative. So in other words, like when the, uh, the black guy who uh, had, you know, was a racist in New York City went on the subway uh, to kill white people and he uh, broke like 40 laws by doing that. That didn't fit the narrative. So Joe Biden didn't go down and give a big speech to the victims of that crime. And he had to wait till, you know, the white supremacist or whatever, the mentally ill guy in Uvalde, uh, Texas, or up in Buffalo, New York. So anyway, there you have it. Um, one more little tidbit of news is FPC has a another win in their column. And this is cool because I was talking about this lawsuit with uh, one of the plaintiffs at the uh, Springfield Armory. I'm sorry, not Springfield Armory. At the Smith & Wesson Advisory meeting that I was at in, in Springfield the other day. Uh, we w- had our annual advisory uh, like meeting, and the guy from California is one of the plaintiffs in this case, and we were talking about it kind of over dinner um, while we had some downtime. And I'm glad to see that they won, and this was a victory. It was Campos versus Bonta lawsuit, which challenged the policies and practices of the California Attorney General, Rob Bonta, and his Department of Justice Bureau of Firearms that delayed firearms transactions beyond the statutory 10-day waiting period, absent a legal basis. So in California, they have a 10-day waiting period, and they were holding it past that 10-day period if they hadn't uh, heard from the ATF on a delay. And so um, they they basically were just kind of doing that willy-nilly, if you will, and now they've been told they can't do that. Um, so demand for the firearms surged in 2020 when California citizens saw the rule of law crumbling around them. And the California DOJ announced it was too busy to process background checks within 10 days. So it was going to start the interpretive of the law to give it 30 days. Uh, we brought this case to shine a light on the DOJ's unlawful practice, and we are pleased the court has ordered DOJ to comply with the law, said Brad uh, Benbrook, FPC counsels in the litigation. When a person buys, transfers, or is loaned a firearm in California, they are generally required by law to wait 10 days after the DOJ receives the firearm application before taking possession of the firearm. Likewise, the firearms dealer cannot allow the person to take possession of the firearm before the end of the waiting period. But as soon as the 10-day period is over, California law says one of three things must happen. The dealer can deliver the firearm, the application is denied by DOJ, or the transfer has been delayed for one or three specified reasons. So good news, because we saw this happen here in Massachusetts when, uh, you know, they closed offices and couldn't get to it. So anyway, uh, we'll be back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. And don't forget, we have a friendly shooting contest for all levels called the Veterans Top Shot Invitational. And it still has openings for our contest this September 10th. And it supports great veterans charities. So go to TopShotInvitational.com and get your four-man team together, a four-woman team or four-person team to sign up today. That's TopShotInvitational.com. 
and we will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, key entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And we've had a steady stream of all things guns, that's for sure. So uh, we've been talking about uh, you know the ATF today and about a bunch of stories online that, in my opinion, are very tragic. And uh, But some good news, too. FPC getting another win. And uh, don't forget, you can... Call into the show any time of the day or night, 508-444-2120. Please include your first name, location, and your question to 508-444-2120. And if we don't answer your question during the show, make sure you tune in next time. We'll try to get to all your questions. So text or call 508-444-2120. Cape Cod points out, I bet the ATF will find fault with how you dispose of cardboard. Uh, yeah, maybe I think they'll let us let us ride on the cardboard thing, but I, I understand the sentiment behind it. There's no question they uh, would really like to, you know, I, and I got to say this, the IOI that has come in and done our audits the last two times have been great. I haven't had any issues with them, um, none whatsoever. I The only issue I've ever had with the ATF was when the, guy who's on the criminal side came in to give us a a request for uh, information on a criminal investigation he was doing. And while he was in here, he uh, was watching people at the counter. And then somebody left and he went up to one of my guys. I wasn't available. I was talking to a customer and said, uh, 
I need to see that 4473. And the guy who worked for me was like, and he, my guy, this is this will show you the tact that he has. He looks over to me and yells across the whole store and goes, Hey, Toby, this guy wants to see the 4473 from that last firearms transaction. The ATF is here, you know. <laughs> and so everybody in the shop's kind of looking up and the agent's kind of going like this and going like, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. And uh, so I, I said, okay, give me a minute. And I walk in the office and I say to Brendan, I'm like, hey, ATF, we knew he was here for another reason, but he's here and he wants to see a totally unrelated 4473 what the heck's going on with that and uh so he he ends up calling our lawyer and our lawyer used to run the boston field office of the atf and so he said you you go tell that atf agent to get the f out of your shop and i'm like what the heck you know like and those were his words not mine and uh and we're like so i went over and i'm trying to be the, you know, peacemaker here and say like, yeah, so we're not going to just give you that. And he goes, oh, I already got it from your general manager. And I'm like, what? And yeah, I, I went in your general manager's office and I got a copy of it. And we're like, holy smokes, like that, I felt violated that he just went straight to my general manager and, you know, pulled rank and was like, I want to see this. And he's like, okay. And so Brendan comes out and he's like, yeah, you're not getting that from us. And he's like, I already got it. And he's like, yeah, well, don't ever do that again. You, you, unless you're doing a investigation about something or you've got a warrant, you can't just come in demanding a, to see a, a 4470. And all of a sudden, the guy peacocks up and goes, those are our property. You just hold on to them. It's the ATF's property. And you just kind of catalog them and organize them. So whenever we need to see them, we can demand whenever we want to see one of those forms. And we're like, I don't think that's right. You know, I don't think that's right. And so another call to the lawyer confirmed that that's not right. And so uh, that, but that he was very angry and he postured up and said, you know, this is, this is, uh, we're the criminal side. Yeah, you get along great with your IOI, but this is the criminal side. And if we need something, you give it to us. He goes, I've been doing this for 20 years and I have never had anybody, uh, I've never had anybody stand up to me and de- deny me a form when I've asked one. And so, I, you know, we were kind of like looking at each other like, okay, and uh, well, where does this leave us? Well, we found out where it leaves us. Um, about a week later, we're starting a class with an outside instructor and I show up and there's like police cars everywhere and I'm going, what in the heck? And here's our friendly ATF agent from the criminal side with a warrant saying he's seizing our camera server. And I'm like, what? And uh, he basically was putting on this show of power and saying, and he kicked everybody out of the building. The class had to go have breakfast because he wouldn't uh, allow anyone in the building while they were doing this. And they took our server, which we were ordered under uh, Barnstable Town regulation to maintain a video file of every activity that happened on the premises. So all of a sudden we're without a uh, video surveillance system for a number of days. It actually put us out for a number of days. And um, come to find out, we heard from our lawyer who called the Boston office and told him what his agent was doing in our shop. And I'm sure when he got back to the office, 
he had to assemble a grand jury or something like that to, in order to uh, get a warrant for the information that he wanted. And also CYA covers butt so that um, he would he would not, you know, be in, in hot water for demanding a, a form that he had no right to demand a form for. And then when he came back, he gave us a stern talking to like, how do you know that I don't have an investigation going and I can't just reveal that I have somebody under surveillance or something to you because it could compromise the investigation. So he's kind of giving me that like casting that type of shade on us. Like, who are you to question me? And frankly, if you do have an investigation, tell us, we'll cooperate. I got, I'm on the same side. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want criminals to be, uh, getting guns or I don't want straw purchases to uh, occur. I don't want, uh, guns to fall into the wrong hands. But the side of the story that I felt was happening was he, he profiled somebody because this girl, uh, was in the middle of buying a gun and her boyfriend came in and I'll, I'll, I'll admit he didn't look like, uh, the guy who you'd think was just a good old, uh, good old boy, uh, gun owner. He did look like, you know, he, he fit the description of if you were going to profile somebody, you would profile them, but I don't care what people, how they dress like or what they wear or what they say. And the fact that he wasn't even a part of the sale and to make matters worse for me was we had some history with this girl for a couple of weeks. And that was like, she came in a couple of times and tried a few guns in her hand to see which one fit her hand. Once she narrowed it down, then she actually did a try before you buy and went out with one of our instructors and shot the gun. And, like, she was making a very educated, intelligent decision on what gun is best for her. She wasn't buying a gun for the gang, you know, to give to her boyfriend or to whoever in the gang. She obviously had something that she felt was, you know, happened that she caused her some concern. And she was buying a gun, and she wanted the right gun to fit her and that she shot well and that she could carry and that she fit her hand well. And she took a you know, private lesson and got a, uh, got a, uh, you know, try before you buy from one of our range staff. And then fast forward two weeks later, when she actually went to commensurate the sale after having put it on lay layaway and paying it off over a couple of weeks, it just so happens the ATF agents in my shop and, and, uh, you know, profiled her. And as far as I'm concerned, um, but yeah, anyway, that's the long story there. So, um, I wish I could say government always has our personal interest at heart and, you know, the equal application under the law is always happening by, um, you know, the, the G men out there. And I, I just don't think that it is unfortunately. And if they're not, guess what? They might get nominated for promotion as as I was talking about in the first hour. So it's just crazy. But anyway, let's get back to your questions. Um, G-Webs will definitely have to do a uh, that chat focused on gun shops like we were talking about. Uh, that would be great. And uh, this war on gun shops should be in the spotlight for sure. Uh, gun shops recommended for revocation is up 500%. That's all you need to know. And I tell you, I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I read the first time for the first time about Joe Biden's 
uh, zero tolerance policy going after rogue gun dealers. And I knew it was going to be just like uh, Milwaukee's uh, Operation Fearless that after they've exhausted millions of millions and millions of dollars, taxpayer money, and, you know, from the from the general budget and coming up with no convictions, they're going to have to start hanging trophies on the wall. So guess where the low-hanging fruit is? Well, they can change the definition of a, a, an actual mistake on a form to willful. And I remember the first time we had our, uh, you know, our conference with the ATF, the Boston Field Division, they, after reading us the list of violations, like little jot and tittle violations, they made us acknowledge in writing that any further violations of those acts is a willful violation. And it's like, that's ridiculous. Like, if you knew what we do to comply, like we literally bought software, we got our point of sales situation to talk to our bound book our bound books backed up in the cloud and we have a very tight clamp on on the bound book access to that information we do monthly gun audits we have a compliance officer that works for us uh part-time he works three days a week and he goes through our Mercs and our 4473s and looks for anything. And anytime he finds an error, he prints out a new form, gets the person back. They make the correction. They staple it to it. They upload it back to the web. And, you know, the amount of effort and energy that goes into these minor errors on the form that would never change a thing. It doesn't mean that a prohibited person walked out the door with a gun doesn't mean that, um, you know, a gun that wasn't supposed to be sold was sold. It doesn't mean that you're selling to the, uh, to the local gang or the, you know, whatever uh, <laughs> uh, organized crime, you know, outfit that's lurking out there in the shadows. It doesn't mean that you're a party to straw purchases or you knew they were going on under your nose. None of that. It's literally clerical errors and that wouldn't result in anything otherwise happening, uh, but now that's the that's the war. Yeah. So, uh, Cape Cod says I believe we should support all gun shops, especially because they're the de facto educator of the public. The news and et cetera never mention anything about firearm safety and how to hi- handle a firearm. You're right about that, uh, Cape Cod. I, I uh, we do more for educating in the gun industry than probably any other outfit out there. So, um, yeah. And remember, if you travel or you want to get a license to carry in multiple states, make sure you check out the Utah non-resident class. And we also have a new Connecticut and Florida non-resident class. So you can learn everything you need to know to get your non-resident Utah, Connecticut, or Florida class um, at capegunworks.com and click on the class link to book a class today. We will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. 
Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And we were taking your questions before the break, and we are going to get right back on that. Um, If you want to be a part of the show, make sure you follow us at rapidfireradio.us or capegunworks.com when you can sign up anytime we go live. And you can also follow us on all our social media sites. Please like, subscribe, share, and comment to make sure that we're defeating the evil algorithms uh, so that we can get our content out there because it doesn't happen organically like other businesses or like other content unfortunately so we gotta we gotta put the work in as they say so uh, uh, getting back to your questions Jorge is wondering what do you think about North Carolina putting ARs in every school um, I I think it's a much bigger subject matter than just putting ARs in schools, although I'm glad it's a step in the right direction. And I think, you know, most people who are uh, either psychos or evil at heart prefer unarmed victims. And that's certainly been the study. They're not looking to get into a gunfight. So just by putting ARs in school will be a deterrent. But I do think it's much more Uh, multi-layered than that. I think we should, from the start, harden the targets of schools. Um, Unfortunately, evil, um, this goes right down to the core, the rotten evil core of some of mankind in its uh, very demonic roots, if you ask me. Um, Since the dawn of time, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to get all religious on you, but the demonic element has tried to destroy God's creation. And this is, has been evident through, you know, Baal and Molech and, you know, all of the pagan uh, ritualistic killing of people and children throughout all of time. And even fast forward to modern era, we're not going to take the show down a a rabbit trail, but um, why is it that people who become severely, uh, and dangerously either mentally ill or um, or are just plain evil would want to shoot children. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so I think we need to recognize the threat is multifaceted and multilayered and not say just by placing a gun in the school is going to solve the problem. I think that there's a m- bunch of things we could do, like southeastern uh, or southwestern uh, high school in Shelby County, Indiana. I think really got it right. Uh, they did a partnership with Talon, um, which is a company that makes software, and they hardened the school. Uh, they hardened all the doors in the schools. Every 
every door in the school has a has a electronic lock and all teachers wear a fob that they can activate the locks in the door and it allows one-way access out as an exit but it won't allow anyone into uh, classrooms or other hallways but they can get out of the school and it also opens up communication to the local sheriff's department where they can in real-time video monitor the the um the perpetrator in the building and they can actually distract them with with a lot of noise they have uh like an alarm that's ear piercing and they can also um target him with smoke cannons that are in the ceiling so this is one good thing not to mention the bulletproof doors and and the sight panels into the into the classrooms are offset from the handle of the door and there's a line drawn on the on the floor of the classroom that everyone can get on the other side of the line, and the person who can't get into the door can't see anyone in the classroom. And if they start shooting through, the door is ballistically protected. And all of this costs um, between two to four hundred thousand dollars, which is a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things. When the average school um, football field, high school football field, costs six million dollars. The two to four hundred thousand dollars to harden the target and make it a much safer place for our most prized possession, which is our family and our children, um, sounds like the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. I would much rather see regionalized football fields if they got a cut somewhere in the budget and harden the schools' targets. But yes, to answer your question, I'm glad they're putting ARs in the in the school. It's a step in the right direction. But they got to give them some training as well to support it, which they're doing. So, guys, it's back. The Cape Gunworks is hosting another AR-15 rifle build class on Saturday, August 20th. I think we got a couple spots left, but we'll guide you through the entire assembly process to build your very own AR. It will be a fixed mag AR, but someday that you'll be able to make it a non-fixed mag once this all goes away. Go to capegunworks.com and click on the class calendar to sign up today. This is Rapid Fire. Made in America since 1949. Family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. Snap safe. Featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. This is the Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, 
guaranteed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong. And Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months. So it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. If you're looking for legal protection, text CGWMA to 281-603-0066. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 for a special offer from U.S. Law Shield on self-defense insurance. Text CGWMA to 281-603-0066 to get a special offer from U.S. Law Shield today. show we're in the second hour where we talk all things guns freedom second amendment self-defense and take your questions which we are in the question segment and i'm sorry guys i went so long-winded on this show but i'm not going to be talking to you for the next two weeks we have a couple of recorded shows this one is one and uh i have to get it all off my chest i'm going to be going through withdrawals when i'm out on the uh out on the west coast um, but anyway, um, so we'll, we'll continue with your questions here. And we'll probably do a little bonus content after the show uh, as well, uh, just for a few minutes. Um, but So you, if you want to stick around for that too, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, BSW says, hey, so I got my FID and just bought my first fixed mag AR. And is there any tips you would recommend to, with first-time gun owning? Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, actually, I think it's a very responsible question of you to ask Um, because I look back at when I was a gun owner um, for the first time at 18 I probably played a little fast and loose uh, with you know uh, in fact I was going to tell the story uh, tomorrow is Brendan's birthday party and uh, it's his birthday and so we have some friends in town from that now live in Jacksonville they actually listen to the show on the Jacksonville station and uh, they're in Jacksonville, Florida. And so there's a picture floating around that they text every couple of years to the group text. And uh, it's it's equivalent to a blackface photo surfacing for a politician, <laughs> for a guy in the gun industry. Because it's a picture of me and Brendan when I'm like a teenager. And I think I have my second handgun I ever bought, which was a Ruger GP100. And we're posing for a picture, and I look like a total nut job in the picture, but I'm standing there with my GP100 with my finger on the trigger. And so, like I said, it could be career-ending, you know, if it ever slipped up and got out on the interwebs, it could it could be like, oh, this is it, Toby's, uh, Toby's uh, <laughs> you know, uh, career-ending photo surface. And like I said, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't end politicians' careers when they show up in blackface. Uh, but as it should in some cases, but uh, the the fact of the matter is uh, there is a picture out there of me posing with a gun with my finger on the trigger. Now, granted, it's a 14-pound double-action revolver trigger on an unloaded gun, but 
nevertheless, I am having trouble sleeping at night knowing that that was me once upon a time. So getting back, yeah, getting back to your question here about what are some of the tips that you I would recommend for first-time gun owning? Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. And that is not Photoshop. It is getting a good habit of putting your finger somewhere other than the trigger until you're ready to shoot, which means you're on a target range or your your gun is pointed on target. That's when your finger reaches for the trigger. Um, any other time, it should feel weird to have your finger on the trigger. So that's one thing. Also, make sure that you're responsibly keeping your guns from uh, people who are not shouldn't have access to your guns. In other words, lock them up and make sure that you prevent unauthorized access to your guns. That's what responsible gun ownership is. Uh, and, you know, do a good job of putting on uh, a good example of that in the community. And I think, uh, but spread the message, man. Tell people far and wide what you had to go through to get your FID, what you had to go through to buy your first gun. And uh, what you've done to to be a responsible uh, member of society. And last but not least, one thing that really would round you out and separate you from the masses would be to take a class in the safe and efficient use of that gun, which I think uh, you need to, um, you do, and I believe that the, the industry as a whole is slowly coming around to the idea that just because we have guns and we can legally have guns, we also should take a class on the safe and efficient use of them, something that's beyond what's required for you to get your license in the first place. I'm not talking about my get my license class. I'm talking about how to, how to shoot my gun class. And if there's no gun class specifically geared towards your fixed mag AR-15, then take a private lesson with someone who's well-versed in it. And we have that service here at Cape Gunworks. So um, hopefully, you know, you could take a take a class with one of our instructors or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's the way it goes. And, uh, but great question. And, um, I think you're asking the right question because you obviously want to be a responsible gun owner and, and do the right thing and be a good advocate, but tell us what you think. Call or text 508-444-2120, uh, 508-444-2120. And, uh, G webs was commenting on, my story in the first, the last segment, he says, wow, this is an epic story. I wish it was fixed at fiction. And, uh, yeah, me too. I do wish it was, uh, it all ended well. Uh, and we were given the, the firm talking to of how we should never call into question whether or not somebody has a duly, uh, <laughs> a sanctioned investigation going, but anyway, uh, Beyond due diligence, it's an attempt to use regulation as a weapon. Then they can say, look at all these gun shops who kept shady books. Yeah, you're right. Uh, no doubt about it. And uh, I think that um, that is the unfortunate side of regulatory agencies. And, you know, it's it's not just guns. Like when we were closed down uh, because of covid you know, we had regulatory agencies telling us we had to close, even though the letter of the law said we didn't. And um, then when we reopened, there was a certain set of parameters that we had to operate under, like four hour, uh, four person people per hour could come into our 20,000 square foot range uh, and showroom. And meanwhile, Home Depot 
could allow based on their square footage. I think it was like three or 400 people in their store. So there, there it was a unequal application of regulation, which is arbitrary anyway. And now you have some government uh, agency or some town agent agency enforcing this. And uh, that's exactly what, what happened. And uh, it was, it was sad, but that's, that's the way it all worked out. 500 says, great show, Toby. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Steve appreciates the good info. And, uh, and the, the Lyrad is saying, welcome back to the show, Toby, the tree killer. Hey, man, I thought that was just information between us. So you're, uh, you're, you're outing me here. <laughs> and uh, Jorge's wondering if there's any such thing as a small pin Colt AR-15 lower. And yes, the modern ones made now are all small pin, but even some of the pre-bands are small pin. So you can find them. They're few and far between as far as the... Uh, the pre-bands are concerned but that's how they all are now and g-webs is saying i need to burn those pictures of me with my finger on the trigger but anyway it's been a great time talking with you guys and thanks for tuning in remember the show ends here but you can always tune in at rapidfireradio.us or call or text 508-444-2120 and keep up the good fight support your local community and be an advocate for responsible gun ownership together as americans we can overcome i'm toby leary see you later